Brenda and I went up to uh, Ohio after Christmas to see our middle child and his new bride. And we attended a couple of worship services at a couple of churches, including a fairly big mega type church. And I didn't think any of them had anything on our music program. And I think if you came to our Christmas Eve services, uh, you would probably agree, every one of them, uh, I just thought was uh, a great service and in no small part at all to all the hard work that um, our music people uh, put in, our choir, our band, you name it, and uh, it makes a huge difference. And it makes it a huge difference when you're trying to preach. Um, I think I've said this before, uh, first church I served full time when I got there, they didn't have a choir, and the pastor I was following, he said, you know, if you've got a good choir, you can get away with a bad sermon every once in a while, but if you don't, if you don't have a good choir, you, that sermon's got to be there every Sunday, and after about three months, I thought, we've got to have a choir. <laughs> Yesterday, such a beautiful day, and uh, towards evening, I sat out on my back porch, and I wrote a song, and the name of the song is uh, The Low Down Central Texas Cedar Fever Blues. <laughs> I shared some of the lyrics with Brenda. She said, you can't sing that in church. So, for my fellow sufferers, God bless us one and all, and it'll, we'll get through it. So just hang in there and keep Walgreens in business, and we're going to be okay. Um, we, do, we, we had a slew of folks during this Christmas time uh, who uh, fell and injured. Uh, Cami Stewart, for one, Jim Wilhite. Um, Several others that need our prayers and our attention. I, this is absolutely true. One, when we were in Ohio, one day I called Carol Batterton, who's going to be chair of our leadership council this coming year. And, and I said, Carol, please tell me that I have at least one person on my leadership council that's not in the orthopedic ward right now. <laughs> um, so um, it's kind of odd how you go through those things, but... Uh, it's such a challenge because it takes such a long time and it challenges your, your patience uh, and other things as well. So keep those folks in your prayers. Now, uh, obviously by this point, uh, you know, you understand, or maybe you already knew uh, that today is the day of Epiphany, January 6th, the 12th day of Christmas. Uh, this year it happens to fall on a Sunday, but not always. I know the Choose Life class knows what Epiphany is because Friday night they had their annual Epiphany dinner party, which was awesome. Um, if, you're, if you want to eat well, you might consider that Sunday school class. <laughs> and uh, as we've already talked about, there's a lot of different ways of celebrating Epiphany, but primarily the two main things are uh, baptisms quite often, and primarily to tell and remember the story 
of the wise men, the magi uh, is the literal word in the scripture. The three kings from Orient are bearing gifts as they travel afar. Now, I'm also thinking that probably at least one or two of you, maybe more, maybe not, um, came in this morning thinking, what, the Christmas tree still up? The Christmas decorations are still up. We're still singing Christmas songs. We're still reading about the wise men and baby Jesus in the manger. And will Christmas never end? Can't it just be over for goodness sake? It's the new year. It's January. We're, we're, we're ready to move on. Can't we just talk about New Year's resolutions and self-improvement and all that stuff? Because that's what you're supposed to talk about in January, right? New Year's resolutions, right? So if you're tired of Christmas, we can do that. I, I can talk about New Year's resolutions if you want me to. I can talk about how you need to lose weight. I can talk about how you need to exercise more. I can talk about self-discipline and self-sacrifice and self-improvement and giving up bad habits. I could probably twist it into a tithing sermon that you need to give more money this year than you, than you did last year. So, who wants to talk about the wise men? Yeah, okay, give me an amen on the wise men. Yeah, okay, we're going to talk about the wise men. Now we're talking about that other stuff. Okay, so here's one of the things that has always fascinated me about this story. Bless you. The story, the story of the Magi is found in the Gospel of Matthew. And I, I think you could probably make a pretty good argument that the, the Gospel of Matthew is, is what you might say is the most Jewish of the four Gospels. Now, all four of them are Jewish, and Jesus is a Jew, of course, but it seems as if Matthew, more than the others, really wants to make sure that you connect Jesus with the Jewish tradition and the Jewish faith and the Jewish scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. Uh, Matthew seems to just refer back to the Old Testament time and time again and, and trying to connect Jesus to the Old Testament. And of course, Jesus in his adult ministry quotes the Old Testament quite often. And I, and I think in Matthew, you get more a sense of Jesus as, as rabbi uh, than maybe you do in some of the other gospels. And it's as if Matthew really wants you to understand that this Jesus is not this brand new thing just out of the blue, but what you might call a, a, a new old thing. That it's new, but it's very connected to the old. That this is, this is not a new story, but a part of a very old story that's been unfolding for centuries and generations. That this, this thing once promised has now become fulfilled, that this thing once prophesied is now true, that this thing we once hoped for is now hope realized, and this salvation that we long for is now available to us. And so I think that's why it makes it even more surprising, curious, fascinating for sure. 
that it's in Matthew's gospel, this very Jewish gospel, that the first people who recognize who Jesus really is are not Jews. These, these visitors come from the east, it says. And it's very ambiguous as to exactly where they're from. It's commonly speculated that they may have been from what was then Baghdad or Babylonia, what we would now call Iraq, or maybe even further east, maybe they were Persian from what we would now call Iran, or maybe what they considered to be the Orient, the Far East, Afghanistan. And so, again, the, the very first people who recognize the epiphany, the, the, the realization and the proclamation of, of this new truth is from what we would probably call foreigners. Now, you know what the definition of a foreigner is, right? A foreigner is not us. Huh? Not us. They're not like us. Uh, they're different. And I think a lot of times what's implied is they're not just different, they're wrong. Wrong religion, wrong customs, wrong language, wrong ethnic group, not us. Different, wrong. It's probably exactly what the Comanches were thinking when the first Germans showed up in this county. They're not us at all. They're foreigners. And so, these very different wrong religion, wrong ethnic group, wrong everything foreigners, again, are the first to proclaim to the world the identity of the newborn babe in the manger, in the manger. But then, of course, if you really continue to think about it, it makes perfect sense. If Jesus came to save the whole world, then the whole world must mean the whole world. And the whole world must mean foreigners and people who are different and people who are wrong. Would Jesus come to save people who are wrong? And it's consistent with the gospel. And the gospels, all four of them, it seems pretty consistent that those who should know who Jesus is can't seem to know and those who are assumed incapable of knowing the sinners the foreigners the poor the diseased the uneducated they all seem to know who this is and here's the other part that fascinates me they, they, these magi see a star everybody else saw the star it's up there in the sky. How is it they see and sense and recognize something that everybody else sees but don't see? How is it they look up and see something and everybody else just sees a star? And they go to Jerusalem where they assume the king of the Jews would be because that's the capital. And the experts in the Bible say, well, uh, no Bethlehem. The Bible says 
the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Okay, so why aren't you in Bethlehem? Why, why is not all of Jerusalem going down to Bethlehem? It's only six miles away. Why is it everybody sees but don't see? Notices but don't really notice. Maybe we should give them a break. Maybe their struggles are like our struggles. They're living in a very polarized and politically troubled time. Herod, this puppet king, is capricious and dangerous. And they're occupied by the Romans, and some are arguing that we should start a revolution against the Romans. Others are saying, no, we've got to play along, or they're going to crush us. There's polarization of their politics. There's economic polarization. There are the very wealthy building palaces, and, and there are the very poor and homeless, as are Mary and Joseph. And then there's just all the distractions of everyday life, of just trying to get by and make it and do the things that you have to do. But somehow these magi, they look up and they see that God is doing something in the world. The shepherds look up and see the heavenly choir. Joseph takes seriously his dreams. Mary listens and obeys. They see, hear, notice, and watch the amazing thing that God is doing in their very midst. The epiphany, the realization that God has loosened a Messiah into the world and things are happening. So then here's my question. I, when was your day of epiphany? When was your epiphany? When was the day that you saw and you really saw and you realized that there's something more to life than politics and economics and taking care of the yard? That the Messiah is loose and there's amazing grace and power and love going on in the world. Perhaps it was in a Bible study perhaps in a worship service, perhaps at church camp, perhaps through a friend, perhaps through a, a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or walk to Emmaus. The day when, when you realize there's something going on in the world and I actually get to be a part of it. Now, I had a lot of little things that built a foundation when I was a kid. But I think the real thing that did it for me, and it's probably going to sound a little corny, but when I was in junior high, I went to go see Jesus Christ Superstar. And it was perplexing. Um, but, well, two things. The first thing was the stunning, the stunning realization that you could play an electric guitar and talk about Jesus at the same time. That was, that, was, that was like discovering the new world. Um, but more seriously, the effect it had on me was very profound in a way that's very difficult for me to articulate. Somehow through that, I knew in my bone of bones that Jesus was real. 
now in my world. That we weren't talking about Napoleon or George Washington or something that happened, but, but somehow this is something that is happening. And I want to be a part of this. I want to... I want to I wanna go find the manger. I'm assuming that we're all here this morning because we're, we're still looking for that manger. We still want to notice. We still want to look up. We still want to see a star. We still want to, to, to know holiness and transcendence. And amazing love and grace. That we, we long, we long for these very things. What's the poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning? That the earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God. But only those who take off their shoes see it. Everyone else just picks blueberries. To see, to have eyes to see. I think maybe that's why we go to church. Church is like training. We, we say our prayers, we read our scripture, we worship, and, and we, we, we're training ourselves to see what God is doing. Maybe that's all that being a Christian really means is that somehow we, we've got into the habit of seeing what God has done and that only God can do. I ran across a little story about a woman whose brother was in his 30s and he died unexpectedly, or at least unexpectedly to the family. What they didn't realize until after he died was that he was homeless and living out of his car and sick. And his sister is writing this and she says, that was two years ago and, and she's just crushed just, just still just as crushed as the day it happened that, that, that she didn't know, she didn't see, she didn't notice that she should have been taking care of herself. She should have been taking care of him. She should have been attending to him and, and she, didn't, she didn't see it. She didn't know it. And, and, and how, how do you find the kind of forgiveness Needed in that. No amount of New Year's resolutions is ever going to fix that. Only a cross and a Messiah could ever give you the peace that passes all understanding, forgiveness, reconciliation. To notice, to see. To be a part. In your bulletin, there's that information on the Daniel fast. It's not a diet plan. It's not about losing weight. I've done it several wrong. I've done it several times and I've done it wrong several times. Once I, I treated it just like it was a diet. I didn't lose any weight. And I missed the point which is, it's about focus. It's, it's about a means of being, being jarred out of our ruts and, and once again seeing the star and walking towards the manger. 
I hope that you might consider doing that, joining with Brenda and I. I hope that as a church, that's, that's what we commit ourselves to doing this year, that, that if we could just do one thing, that would be to look up and to see what God is doing in our community and in our lives. I uh, was sharing with the earlier service, the baptismal font keeps hiding from me. That the last several weeks, the last couple of months, sometimes it's over here, sometimes it's over there. One Sunday was back there in the cry room. Uh, This Sunday it's it's hidden back there. And I, I, I know we've had all kinds of uh, special services and furniture logistics and, and, and things like that. But, but we need to get that baptismal font out here front and center. I, I want you to pray with me in the coming weeks for baptisms. I, not church members, not cute ceremonies for babies, but that as we have noticed and seen what God is doing, that as a church we can help others see what God is doing in their lives and that there's forgiveness and wholeness and healing and future beyond belief and let us bring people to that gospel, that good news, that Jesus Christ. Can we, can we be about that? Can we pray? Can we pray for baptisms? Can we pray just to see what God is doing and then latch on and hold on and see where that takes us? Amen? Can we do that? Well, let me say a prayer. Almighty and gracious God, we, we do pray that we would truly see, by your Holy Spirit, we would truly see the manger, the star, the angels, all the ways, all the new old ways in which you seek to be in love with us. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.